This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington and coming up on African News Tonight... For the first time, there's a roundtable on water security, so this is extremely important. There's also a roundtable on adaptation on agriculture and so forth. Rania Al-Mashat, Egypt's Minister of International Cooperation on specific discussions to tackle key issues at the upcoming UN Climate Change Conference. Details coming up also. IMF warns that storm clouds are looming over the global economy. Also, IMF says Sub-Saharan Africa faces its most challenging environment in years. And South Africa's Operation Dudula Group is trying to get foreign teachers and students ousted from schools. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. start with our top story. Today, the International Monetary Fund said Sub-Saharan Africa faces its most challenging environment in years with the region's pandemic recovery disrupted by surging inflation, rising interest rates and a global slowdown. The IMF also raises the alarm on food insecurity, especially in drought regions in eastern Africa. Abdurrahman Dia with VOA's French to Africa service, spoke with Luc A. Raoud, the division chief for Africa's regional studies at the IMF. So growth is expected to slow down in sub-Saharan Africa this year. We had 4.7% uh, of growth in 2021 and we expect 3.6% in 2022. So it's a significant slowdown. And the reasons is that the region has been hit by three big shocks. One is a slowdown of the economy of all, of all the rest of the world, the advanced economies, China. The second one is that there is a tightening of financing condition in the region, so interest rates are going up everywhere in the world. And so for countries, it's, it's really a problem because their access to international markets in some cases is more difficult. Some countries actually have lost access to international markets. And the third one, the third big shock, is uh, volatility of commodity prices. And everybody knows here that um, food prices have increased very much, and so it increased the import bill for, for, for African economies. And this is, uh, of course, a drag on growth. Right. And how will insecurity impede uh, growth in the continent? Um, we have seen uh, different regions, like in the Sahel, in uh, uh, the Great Lakes, and other parts of Africa. How will it impede growth? Yeah, conflict is really a problem for growth. I mean, what we find is that when you have a high-intensity conflict, the economy can grow 3% less after the conflict than before the conflict. So it's really a very big impact. Why? I mean, there are many reasons. But one is, of course, there, are, there is beyond the loss of lives, which is really the, the biggest loss in, in terms of conflict. You have a destruction of infrastructure. So, I don't know, uh, houses, buildings are, are disappear. You have children not going to school. You have trade that is not possible. You have agricultural production that is destroyed. So all of this has a big negative impact on growth. And there is another one that uh, also has been mentioned in your report. That's climate change, especially regarding Eastern Africa. You know, climate change is really a big, uh, uh, a big problem from Africa. Africa is probably the most vulnerable continent in the world uh, to climate change. You have seen a lot of an increase in, 
you know, uh, events like floods, like droughts that are more and more frequent and more and more severe in Africa. So, so really climate change is a challenge for Africa. In the context of Eastern Africa, uh, we have seen a four-season drought in, uh, in the past two years, which is extremely severe. One of the biggest climate uh, events that the region has faced in the past 40 years. It's a very, very severe uh, phenomenon. What are your recommendations uh, in the report regarding uh, Sub-Saharan Africa? So I think the main recommendation is that we notice that food insecurity has increased massively in the region in the, in the past years since the, the start of the Ukraine war. Today we have 123 million people in acute food insecurity in the region. And so how can we help these countries? That's where our report is trying to provide uh, uh, possible answers and trying to help the authorities. How can we develop the support measure that will help uh, the most vulnerable that are suffering actually this, this uh, massive increase in food prices? And so the IMF is, is providing advice, but also is present in this discussion. We're actually launching a new food shock window uh, next month, and it's going to provide more financing to African economies to, to fight the, uh, the increase in the food crisis and the increase in, uh, in, in food prices. That was Luke Raoud, the Division Chief for Africa Regional Studies at the IMF. He spoke with my colleague, Abdurrahman Dia. As we just heard in the last report, at the World Bank and IMF meetings in Washington, D.C. this week, participants have warned that storm clouds are looming over the global economy. I spoke with Professor Lamawald Sanbat, currently the William E. Mayer Chair per Professor of Finance at the University of Maryland College Park, and who also served from 2013 to 2018 as the Executive Director and CEO of African Economic Research Consortium, the largest and oldest economic research and training network in Africa. I first asked him to familiarize us with the annual IMF World Bank meetings, their agenda, and the participants. Let me begin by saying that these two institutions, the World Bank and the IMF, came into existence some 70 year, 78 years ago, almost 80 years now, in 1944. This was in the wake of shattered post-war economy. And uh, by the way, it would be interesting that there are only 43 countries represented. So uh, now the number has gone up to close to 190 countries. So this purpose of this meeting is to assemble uh, policy decision makers to actually engage in, in the state of the world economy, uh, discuss concerns, it includes uh, ministers of finance, central bank governors, private sectors, and NGOs, and uh, and then also this also a meeting of the board of governors that actually uh, governs these institutions. This meeting has been going on for a week now, um, and the IMF is saying that storm clouds are looming over the global economy, persistent inf inflation, a slowdown in China, ongoing stresses from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, the pandemic. So based on this assessment, what is your viewpoint on the global economic slowdown? 
it's interesting that you asked this question. Remember I mentioned this 1944 and why those guys actually met and created these institutions? That was in the wake of a huge crisis. I'm worried that if this crisis that you mentioned, namely uh, COVID, uh, inflation, Ukraine, food crisis, uh, fuel, if this thing is not managed uh, properly and contained, there is a possibility of this entire economy devolving to something similar to 1944. So that's my, that's my biggest worry. And I'm hoping that, of course, it will not happen. How will this economic slowdown affect Africa? The challenges that are facing the U.S. and other economies are also challenges facing uh, Africa. One is a food and fuel crisis exacerbated by the Ukraine crisis. And then uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, the U.S. is engaged in very tight financial policy in terms of managing interest rates to contain inflation. And this has an immediate impact on cost of borrowing. And already we have over 20 uh, African countries at the risk of distress or default in terms of debt. So that, that's going to have an impact. And then, of course, we should also say that, uh, you know, the Ukraine crisis has created food crisis. So, so it's a big issue of food insecurity in Africa. So the effect is uh, phenomenal. And the question is now, um, what can be done? What can African governments do to alleviate this problem? So I think that I think what I would like to do in terms of responding to this question is the role of international and global partners. And then what African could do on their own. And I wanted to start from actually the latter because COVID-19 has become an awakening for awakening for African countries to get their house in order. There are many low-hanging fruits. For instance, there is a largest trade area agreement in Africa now. And that is a very welcome news because markets in Africa are fragmented, they are low scale, especially when it's got tech forms of finance and the stock exchanges. So the idea of enhancing intra-trade and market integration is, is very welcome news. And then the other is, the, the other awakening is the need for digital transformation because it, we need capacity, uh, we need enhanced capacity, given that uh, markets are becoming very sophisticated and also enabling uh, the youth, which is actually increasingly becoming an engine engine of entrepreneurship, innovation. But there are issues of capacity, and that's where uh, partners like G20 uh, and China and the U.S., and I know that now there's going to be a summit of uh, Biden and African heads of state in, in, in D.C., and some of these issues are going to come. So, so in addition, it's not just money. It's really the idea of providing technical assistance in the area of uh, digital transformation is, is very important. That was Professor Lamawal Sambat, currently the William E. Mayer Chair Professor of Finance at the University of Maryland College Park, speaking with me. For more on the IMF and World Bank meetings, please check out voaafrica.com.
In Burkina Faso today, political parties, social and religious groups and representatives of the security forces launched talks to chart the country's future. The meeting starts two weeks after Army Captain Ibrahim Traore forced out Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henry Sandoga Damiba, who led a coup in January, ousting President Rock Mark Christian Cabore. For more on the gathering, the head of VOA's Bambara service, Bagasi Kura, joins me by phone. Welcome to African News Tonight, Bagasi. Hi, good to talk to you. So, Bagasi, ECOWAS is also struggling to facilitate a return to constitutional order in Burkina Faso. What are the talks this weekend by more than 300 delegates going to focus on? Uh, two things uh, that we will be discussing all day today and probably tomorrow morning, the new charter of uh, transition, uh, which will be, uh, be, will serve as the law of the transitional period until July 2024. And then at the end of that, they will elect or they will choose somebody who will lead the transition I know at the beginning, the new uh, strongman, Ibrahim Traore, said that the new leader could be civilian or military. But what we have seen in the last few days is that they have been, you know, uprising, uprising all over the country in different streets, asking him to keep, to stay in power, to, to put on. So it will be a surprise if they, design, if they choose somebody else to lead the country. Uh, Bagasi, the country, uh, as you know, is struggling with a violent insurgency linked to al-Qaeda and Islamic State. That seems to be the root cause of the country's problem. The violence has killed thousands and displaced millions. In fact, insecurity because of the violence has spurred two coup d'etat in Burkina Faso. So don't you think this situation is paramount and has to be rectified first? Yes, exactly. That's why, uh, that's what the military have said two weeks ago when they did this coup. They said that the previous one uh, that was in place since uh, January 24 did did deviate from the initial goal of uh, restoring the uh, state authority all over the territory of Burkina Faso. As we are speaking, more than 40% of the country is out of control of the government. So, you have thousands of school closed. You have close to 2 million people who are displaced. So uh, this new leader, Captain Traore, said that that will be their focus. Uh, so the meeting today and tomorrow are some kind of uh, preliminaries. And we hope that after these political talks, they will go back to the fight against terrorism and hopefully be able to bring people back to the original region. And finally, Bagasi, news reports say Ibrahim Traore is likely to be named head of Burkina Faso's interim government. Will he or will he not? Yes, I think he will, because as we see, people who are demonstrating uh, by the thousands, they are being organized. And what is interesting to mention is also we have thousands of Russian flags all over the place asking him to... Um, you know, Soviet tie with France and have partnership with Russia. Thank you. Bagasi Kura, head of VOA's Babara Service, thank you for your input. Thank you.
You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehis Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our program from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. Members of Operation Dudula a group advocating for foreign nationals to be chased out of South Africa, are visiting education offices as part of national campaign to get foreign teachers and students ousted from schools. Tuso Kumalo reports from Johannesburg. The latest campaign by members of Operation Tudula, meaning chase out, has left foreign teachers and students worried. Members of the organization have marched in four provinces, delivering a list of demands to provincial legislatures and education authorities. One of the campaign leaders in Houghton province, Daniel Khatebe, told the media they cannot fold their hands when South African teachers are jobless while foreign nationals are working. All what we are saying, they must employ all South Africans first before they can consider employing foreigners. Grace Mamonyane, who led the march in the Limpopo province, also told reporters that they want local learners to be placed in schools before foreign students are admitted. So we know that our own are not getting jobs because the posts have been occupied by those foreigners. Hundreds of foreigners, largely from Zimbabwe, are teaching in South African schools. Some are taking on science and math subjects, a specialty in short supply in South Africa. Another Zimbabwean academic and teacher, Bongani Nyati, told VOA that the group's stance will traumatize foreign teachers and students. It really shows that uh, these people will become uh, very heartless and um, they have lost any semblance of, um, of decency. Zimbabwean teacher Temba Dabekulu Piri told VOA that though he does not agree with Operation Dudula stance, their intervention could aid foreign teachers who are being exploited in some private schools. Even if Tudula were to be implemented in those areas, it will never remove or totally remove foreign uh, teachers because the demand is very high. Education authorities have yet to respond to Tudula's latest campaign. However, in the past, Education Minister Anjimuseka has confirmed there are foreign teachers and students in their system. She said her department will never bar any child, even those without proper documents, from attending school. The past actions of the Tudula group has put pressure on the Home Affairs Department and the police. Both have heightened their claim down on illegal immigration. Tuso Kumalo for VOA News, Johannesburg. Britain has a new Treasury Chief as Prime Minister Liz Truss tries to steady the economy. Charles Delanes Desma with the Associated Press has more. Embattled Prime Minister Liz Truss has installed a new lawmaker to run the economy as she struggles to calm markets and hang on to her job 
following the release of a controversial economic plan. Trust has appointed former Cabinet Minister Jeremy Hunt to the post, replacing Kwasi Kwarteng three weeks after Kwarteng announced a tax-cutting mini-budget that sent the pound plunging to record lows against the dollar. Immediate market reaction, however, has been muted. Investors already baked in the notion that the government would back down on some of its key proposals. Charles Tilladesma, London. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. More than 200 million people around the world are suffering acute food insecurity, declared Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the recent Global Food Security Summit. In May, the United Nations launched the Roadmap for Global Food Security, a call to action. It calls on member states to take seven actions, which include keeping food and agricultural markets open, increasing fertilizer production, and investing in climate-resilient agriculture. More than 100 countries have signed on to the roadmap, and many are already acting on those commitments. Action is crucial, declared Secretary Blinken, because the current crisis is one that no individual country or even group of countries can solve alone. At the UN General Assembly, President Biden announced over $2.9 billion in new assistance to address global food insecurity, building on $6.9 billion in United States assistance to support global food security already committed this year. But not everyone is contributing, noted Secretary Blinken. Some countries with the capacity to do more are among those doing the least. That needs to change. And no matter what countries have done so far, Every country is called upon to do more. Another way that we can support immediate relief is by pushing for an extension of the deal that the United Nations and Turkey brokered between Russia and Ukraine, which has allowed for grain and other agricultural products to be exported from Black Sea ports, said Secretary Blinken. The second step is to help countries develop the capacity to produce their own food, said Secretary Blinken. Finally, there needs to be better coordination across governments, regional bodies, foundations, and NGOs to make sure that they are working together. Over the next five years, the United States will work with our Congress to invest over $11 billion worldwide toward this goal of durable agricultural production. Last month, we added eight new African partners to Feed the Future. This is our flagship program to broaden social safety nets to strengthen food systems, to improve nutrition. But maybe most important, beyond what we say, is of course what we do, said Secretary Blinken. The health, the stability, and the well-being of our people depends on the food security that we build together. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles. 
and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Dimi Mwakalielie, and our engineer, John Dryden, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. <laughs> <laughs> 